All right, hey everybody, welcome to episode 24 of the American Truck Driver Podcast. I am going to be interviewing Jessica Hillier of the Patricia Margaret Company. Um, I'm seeing that uh, I'm using this webcam and it's not, um, there we go, let me try that, see if it's better. I'm sitting in my truck using this webcam and I've never used it before and so... I'm struggling a little bit with light. I think I may look a little creepy, but we'll just have to deal with it. Uh, I've been wondering about uh, being a broker and what that entails. And so I noticed that uh, I have someone in my friends list that just started uh, uh, the, got the ability to, to be a broker. So I want to talk to her about that and what that experience is like. So let's go ahead and bring her in. Let's see. I'm working on how to. F there we go. All right. I'm using this new technology I've never used before. So we're going to kind of learn on the fly. Okay. So let's welcome Jessica Hillier of the Patricia Margaret Company. So why don't you introduce yourself um, and tell us about how you got into this business and what led you to start Patricia Margaret? <laughs> <clears throat> Sure thing. First of all, I want to thank you for having me on here. I'm absolutely flattered, but I do appreciate any and all attention. No, I'm just kidding. But when I first got into logistics, I was I was in a union for six years. I was a construction worker. I was an electrician with 212 out of Cincinnati, and I was also a chemical worker, process technician, uh, the chemical workers union, out of also out of Cincinnati. <clears throat> I was an absolute and total klutz. I was the reason that SOPs were written for safety. Uh, I have been in very many near misses. So I realized that my calling was not anything with hands-on operational. I, um, when I first started as an electrician, I didn't know what a pair of channel locks was, let alone how to use them. So this wasn't really a good fit. As far as the book smarts go, I've always had that. Um, so getting into transportation <clears throat> was literally a project that I was assigned when I went to college, when I got bored working in the chemical, uh, warehouse, any of CBS. And I got bored because I was making, I guess, too much money and I decided to leave the union. And when I did that in a college class, I was told I needed to make a LinkedIn account, which is why I keep telling everybody, get a LinkedIn account. If you want to learn how to do sales. If you want to get in touch with shippers and decision makers and, you know, supply chain managers, procurement officers, director of transportation, things like that, that's where they're going to be at. And so when I created a LinkedIn account, I was connected with somebody that said this fancy word is a director of logistics. And I had no idea what that word meant. It just sounded cool and director seemed kind of fun. So I, I had no idea what it was. Once I got in, um, I left the union, so if you can uh, imagine the, the level and error of entitlement that I had about myself, I'm really surprised I, I lasted as long as I did in corporate America with a uh, multi-billion dollar food manufacturing distributor out of Cincinnati. I had no soft skills, I had zero tact, and I had no idea how to talk to anybody because I was the workforce. And how dare you tell me what to do? because I already know my job, you know, that, that was my mentality. So the, it was a rude awakening for me. So trying to get a job once I was uh, 
politely dismissed. Uh, trying to get a job with another food shipper was uh, increasingly difficult because the food network and transportation supply chain, y'all, it's not really that big of a network of decision makers. So if you if you irk one person, chances are you're going to irk them all. So the reason behind the Patricia Margaret Company is if my grandma would not say it, if my grandma would not do it, if my grandma would not enact and follow through with something in a certain manner, then it probably does not need to be done. And that needs to be a constant reminder because I have a mouth on me and I'm too stupid to be scared. <laughs> so I have to remember that I am a steward of my business. I'm a steward of my brand and my grandma is my champion. And I will get more into that later. But once okay. I left the, the, the wonderful realm of being a shipper, because it's so safe and so wonderful and you get to make all the shots and you get to make all the calls, right? So I thought. I then made a phone call and I was given an opportunity to be a broker at LaSaint Logistics. And LaSaint Logistics, I was still licking my wounds from the ego deflation that I received in the rude awakening that corporate America gave me. The state logistics gave me an opportunity to build myself back up. And so after about four months, I received an account that went from a $10,000 line of credit with a brokerage to a $75,000 line of credit. Um, they paid on time. They were great. They, they needed spot market quotes and I'm a hustler because I needed to prove to myself that I was as good as I kept telling everybody at the food shipper place. <laughs> so I had to prove it. Mm -hmm. And it turns out it's the only darn thing I am good at. I'm not good at being an electrician. I'm not good at working in chemical plants. Certainly not a good boiler operator with the stationary stack clean or stationary steam class three. I'm, I'm I'm not good with that stuff, but when it comes to transportation, data, supply chain, and logistics, and selling, I'm actually not that bad. Um, understanding from there, I said, well, if I went from this customer that took me three or four months to get, y'all, getting customers is not the hard part. It's who you work for that's cutthroat. When people say brokerages are cutthroat, it, sales is not cutthroat in the sense that People are buying stuff every day. You know, you just got to catch them when they're buying stuff. And it's just a matter of mm -hmm. how big your sales funnel is, right? Here's the amount of accounts you've closed. Here's the amount of people you're going to talk to about the things you're going to sell them to. You just got to have enough people up here and it funnels down to the bottom of the people that are actually going to buy. It's very simple. It's not hard. And it's not that cutthroat. What is cutthroat is meeting internal numbers for a company on the sales side. Most brokers do not receive commission unless they themselves generate over $8,000 a month in, in profit before they even begin to see a lick of commission. That's why brokers from the big, big companies are hustlers because they've got to generate, you figure eight to 15% profit is a healthy, decent profit margin for a brokerage, just saying. Yeah. They have to generate out of that profit margin over $8,000 a month before they see anything over the $15 an hour they're receiving. So they, if, if somebody like me who went from making union scale wages to near union scale wages to making $15 an hour, I was in a jam. One thing that 
I was able to do was prove to myself, here I went from a $10,000 line of credit with my company at the St. Logistics to $75,000 with one customer. Why am I not meeting my numbers? Because I only generated $6,000 a month because it took me, uh, it was six weeks that I generated $13,000 in profit. I don't know how to price. I just wanted to win the business and prove to myself that I could do it. I know that being a broker, I can do a lot more, but seeing that kind of money when I had nothing was enough for me to say, why am I making this company all this other money? Why am I doing that? What does it take to become a brokerage? So from there, I started looking into it and I bounced around. Um, my job history was very similar to being an apprentice. So I did a couple months here on this company and did a couple months there on that company. And then I went to, uh, I made a website, alwaysfindatruck.com for MNC brokerage. And then I, I went to Conicial Logistics to learn about intermodal freight. But gosh darn it, my hustle game was just too strong. Those folks run trains. They don't run trucks, <laughs> bless their heart. But they're really good at what they do. So if you know anybody that needs straight carriers or intermodal freight, called Knitial Logistics. It's a minority woman-owned company. It's it's Christy Knitial. She's great. Um, but I learned how to do a sales strategy and build a sales strategy while working at Knitial Logistics. And then from there, I decided I'm going to go ahead and get my own brokerage. And I just I just asked. I just asked people, how do I start a brokerage? And I was given the tools to start a brokerage. You, you've got to get your bond. You've got to get your BOC3 filing. You've got to get your UCR. You've got to get your authority. And then you're legally able to do business. That cost me $1,500 for my bond for my, what is it? The BMC 74, $75,000 bond cost me $1,500. My BOC3 filing and my UCR filing was $150, but y'all, if you play your cards right, you could probably do that yourself for nothing and just pay the fees. You can get it with Karina Vargas. She can do everything for about $75. When you first filed for your authority, it cost me about $300. You're going to get phone call after phone call after phone call, and they're going to blow you up trying to sell you $250 for your BOC3 and your UCR filing just like they do on the trucking side. So don't, don't, don't go with the first big deal because you think it's the force or, you know, some spiritual awakening or something like that. Don't fall. Don't they prey on that kind of stuff. <clears throat> so after I, I got my filings, I went to Triumph Business Capital and, and I, I spoke to Matt Green and I said, what do I need to do to prove to you that I can do this? Do you want to see my resume? What do you, what do you want to do? And, you know, I sent him everything and he said, yeah, we're, we're good to go for everything. So I put my last dollar into um, getting the equipment and everything. And then funding fell through and Triumph Business Capital no longer uh, worked with brokers. So I have a mortgage. Um, I have car payments. I, I have no health insurance. And I said, I, I need to do something. So I did the one thing that I knew how to do from and since I was 18, 16, 17, 18, I had to go back and wait tables. I went to Buffalo Wings and Rings in Greendale, Indiana, and I waited tables, and I was horrible at it because I was so egotistical. But I was given an opportunity to go manage a trucking company up in Toledo, Ohio, and get them from a point of near bankruptcy to 
strategic growth and initiatives because of my business sense. And then getting in with the right network and Facebook groups and meeting the right people and talking to them and being genuine about what I want to do has opened up a lot of doors. Folks, the key to success is not what you know, it's who you know. You don't have to know really famous people. You don't have to know powerful people. You just have to know people that know more than you. It's just that simple. So I was approved for factoring and I was given an opportunity to get a a TMS system, a transportation management system. And two nights ago, I met with somebody who, who said he'd give me 20 loads a week to start out. All of these things have just come up out of nowhere. And we know when one door closes, another one opens. So, you know, that's, that's the, the black and white part of being a broker. It's just a lot of hustle and not taking no for an answer. I'm not going to fail. So that's, that's what that's about. But I want to move more into who is Patricia Margaret, because that is my mascot. That is who I am. That is the mission vision and values behind the patricia margaret company is my grandma my grandma is 85 years old she's irish catholic she's named after the first irish immigrants of the united states patrick and margaret mcmahon and she had 15 children yes that's right one five 15 children If there is anybody that knows how to foster communication between all different types of personalities to reach one common goal, it is my grandma. (laughs) My grandma also fostered nine other children on top of it. Wow. Yeah. And then when my grandma was around 40, 45, maybe even 50, my grandfather um, stepped out of the picture. And at that point, grandma went back and got her degree and she's got her bachelor's degree and she does she she actually instead of putting the full 20 years in they she took an early retirement she's been to st kit she's been to italy she's been to ireland she's been to california and now she's in in maine um my grandma is a world traveler she's feisty she's she's irish (laughs) um we just don't quit you know, and I asked her, I said, how did you, as you were given more and more and more responsibility as a mother of 15 children, how did you not get overwhelmed and go to the funny farm? Like, how did that not happen? And she said, well, it just needed to be done. So that'll mm, preach so, right there. Right. So, so, so grandma just did the next right thing, you know, just one thing after another we 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 have a common goal is to have supper on the table at you know five o'clock it's to make sure everybody's in bed by eight and older kids are in bed by nine and senior kids are ready to go to school at six o'clock in the morning you know we we have these common goals and you know grandma and i used to play a game called beat the clock and so i think that that's where a lot of the hustle comes from you know we got until the big hand gets on number four for this room to be picked up beat the clock um that that my grandma has been like i said if you can hear some of the stories that she could tell about the 15 children <laughs> that she has uh, yeah. there there and i asked her i said who was your most memorable child and and of, of course she said your father 
So I want to talk a little about a little bit about who my father is. My father is retired U.S. Army Special Forces Green Beret Dennis Hilliard, Sergeant First Class. Um, my father did 27 years in the U.S. Army. I'm sorry, 24 years in the U.S. Army and four years in the U.S. Navy. And when it comes to the hustle on his card, you got to understand what a Green Beret is. Green Berets are few and far between, and the hustle game is strong with them too. But something my father taught me at a very early age is honor, integrity, and respect. My father, when troops would be uh, stuck in on the base for the holidays, would invite everybody over for, for Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving. Anybody that was stuck in the barracks with no place to go, my father made sure that they could at least celebrate some form of the American culture. And even if that was just extending the Hillier family love with somebody else. And so that, that culture is also embedded in me. I'm an army brat, I'm too stupid to be scared, and I've got my grandma's hustle. So the mission of the Patricia Margaret Company is to foster communication and navigate the freight market between the shipper and the carrier. And essentially what that means is the shipper is scared to death of what's going on in the freight marketplace and the carriers don't really know what the shipper's thinking. I want to be a bridge of or communication. Or care. What's that? Or care. I don't care. Or care at some point, yeah. Um, I want to combat uh, some, some key points that could possibly happen in the marketplace, such as inflation. And so the long-term vision is to combat the driver shortage and combat inflation by revitalizing the inland ports of the United States, the rivers. We've got barges, we've got the container that goes on ocean-going vessels introduced by Mr. McLean in 1956 that completely revolutionized ocean-going container vessels. Why not put those on barges? We've got some things on the pipeline doing drop and hook operations up and down the Mississippi, across the inland waterways, the American marine highways of the United States that I think could facilitate revitalizing small town USA and coordinating the shipments off of the barges to the to the, either a rail or possibly going to a warehouse or putting it on a truck to final destination. Let's get people interested in trucking again, but they're not going to really be interested in trucking unless they understand what their role is in the entire American economy. Yeah. Trucking is the lifeblood of the American economy. The reason why everything that you see when you look out of a room, a hundred percent of everything you've seen has been on a truck. 90% of everything you've seen has been on a boat. So understanding the truck driver's role in our American dollar's strength is extremely important. But telling you is one thing. I want to show you. I want to give you the tools for you to for everybody that comes to know the Patricia Margaret Company. I want to give you the tools that you need to win that argument with a shipper that so I'm not a low cost provider. I'm not. You're you're a transportation vendor, you know, you're, you're a professional cargo carrier in the field. You're a field engineer when it comes to a CDL holder. If you don't want to charge low cost provider rates, you don't have to, but you need to make a case for it. You need to prove to the shipper of your value. You need to do more than just being able to pick stuff up, drop stuff off. You need to be able to yeah, say, I, I am your resource for your end to end supply chain solution from the picking up out of the port 
and getting it to final destination or picking it up at your manufacturing plant or to picking it up from your raw materials supplier and getting it to the manufacturing plant or, or getting it in the warehouse or getting it into DC or getting it from other DCs for your replenishments. Whatever the case is, I need for you folks to understand what's going on because I'm just one person. My team is only gonna be a group of people, but at the end of the day, you are the folks doing the work and I think you should understand how important your role is in the American supply chain commercial economy. So with that, the brokerage, the values of the brokerage are gonna be very simply, what would grandma do? And I know that sounds corny, but when we speak to shippers, we cannot make the same mistakes that I made when I went to corporate America because they will cast you out because that's not looked kindly upon. If you can't be professional in your words, then there's no place for you at a professional setting. So what would grandma do before we say that we are having a problem, before we say that the warehouse workers are stupid, before we say that that person's an idiot, we need to really think about what is the root cause of this problem. And the only way that you, the end field engineer, is going to be able to say what the problem is, is if you know what the heck's going on. A lot of yeah. people in the supply chain don't know what's going on. It's going to be your job. You're already a CDL expert, right? You already know FMCSA. <laughs> you might as well know yeah. what the hell everybody's using FMCSA codes for, right? right? So why not understand how a supply chain works, understand the importance. When you understand the importance of what you are, then you're going to be able to put a more of a dollar value on what you're able to bring to the table. But again, if you don't meet the service levels for a customer, a shipper, or in this case, the food shipper that I worked with, a food manufacturer who is selling their product to their customer, their buyer. If the food manufacturer says the transportation costs are in your overall price for the product, we're going to guarantee that that product is going to arrive on such and such date at such and such time. Well, if the vendor that the food manufacturer or the seller chooses falls through on that the shipper looks like a butt you know they, they, they look like they're yeah. not good on their word so if you understand that you're helping like old dominion's motto keeping america's promises then if you start to understand that you're literally the reason why the food shipper is able to continue to get the business from their buyers then you start to understand everybody has to do their job you know, maybe you're jealous of the person sitting behind the computer desk all day. That's fine. But they're not making as much money as you. And if they are, they're bringing a lot more value to the table than other people sitting in front of computers. Well, right. Let, let, so let me jump in right there. You just said the word value. And one thing that I have discovered in my uh, journey over the last few years of becoming an owner operator, failing and then working is understanding my value. When I was just, I'm, just a truck driver okay i'm not saying that to be disparaging to company drivers but when i was just a driver when i didn't have any um <clears throat> when i didn't have any of my own value at risk i did not understand my place in the market in the overall market i didn't know what my value was and you know, I, I'm a part of a lot of Facebook groups, you know, we're leased to Landstar. So, I'm, you know, I'm in Landstar groups. I'm in Rate Per Mile Masters. And I see a serious attitude problem 
among a lot of people. Uh, and it doesn't matter if you're in the smaller ecosystem at Landstar or if you're outside and you're operating as your own authority. People have manufactured a, a spirit of um, adv uh, adversity. You know, they, they've made carriers or adversaries to brokers and brokers are adversaries to carriers. And there are a lot of us, you know, because obviously the people that are getting the job done aren't sitting and bitching about it on Facebook. So you have the people that are whining and crying the most that are the most vocal, but there is something important that we can glean from their whining and complaining and gnashing of teeth, you know, that everybody's out to get them. Um, my personal philosophy is I don't, I don't care how much profit a broker's making. I, I could not possibly care less. If the, if the rate confirmation covers my cost for the time that it takes me to perform the task, I don't care if the broker's making a million dollars on that one load. It doesn't matter. It, they're not taking anything from me. Um, they're, you know, like with Landstar, you'll hear a lot of people say, either outside the system or inside the system. Well, they take 35%. Okay. Well, first of all, they don't take 35%. There's a hundred percent rate. 65 goes to the truck. Seven goes to the trailer. Seven goes to the agent and 21 goes to Landstar. And then there's a lot of tangible benefits I get for that 21%. But to say, when you start using it, well, they take, well, that's an adversarial word. That's an aggressive, offensive word. And it's no different in the, in the open market, if you're running the spot market and rate per mile masters is such a great group with a lot of good information. Uh, but once they the next, they called me out on some things before, Yeah, but I'm very appreciative of them for doing that. Now what will be funny and it's coming there, there, the bubble will pop and the rates will come back down and Lord have mercy, the whining and complaining, you know, cause they're all, they're all, living high on the hog right now. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing rates as a Landstar operator that are just obscene. I've, I've never seen anything like this in my, in my whole career. And I mean, I pulled $10 a mile last night. I, you know, it's just, it's insane. And the, the, when I, when I was sitting at the, at the Petro earlier and thinking about asking you to do this, part of the, my motivation is that I want to get the honest opinions of people that are on that side of the business uh, to be able to talk about the, the, the challenges that they face um, and, and try to take some of that adversarial uh, attitude out because, you know, we need each other. I, I need people going to customers and booking loads because even if I wanted to, I don't have time. I'm driving 3,000 miles a week. I don't have time to go. I don't have time to call shippers. Uh, I don't have time to do all that. I need a person to act as an agent for me to go and present themselves to the customer and negotiate a good rate um, and, and, and get the job done. And we've got to, we've got to have a major attitude shift in this business on both sides of the rate confirmation 
in order to for all of us to continue to be successful. I would happen to absolutely agree. And that's what I want to be able to do is to facilitate that bridge of communication and, and creating that transparency so that if you're armed with the knowledge of what actually shippers have to deal with, what brokers have to deal with, what warehouse managers have to deal with, you're going to be better equipped to go into an argument that everybody's already upset about and saying, here's a problem. I have a couple of solutions for you. Bam. You've already got their ear. You, you're instead of going in and complaining about, I got this problem, this problem, this problem. Stop. You come at me with a problem, I better have one, two, or three solutions or things you've already tried to do that haven't worked. Let's be efficient in our problem solving. That's first and foremost. That's the way I operate my book. So when, you know, a, a, a carrier is having an issue in the field, I expect to know about that, especially if it's something that I caused or the shipper caused or just force majeure. You know, we need to know, we need active communication. We can't just fall on one another and just point fingers because there's three other fingers pointing back at yourself and myself when I'm pointing fingers at you. Okay. Let's so let's I talk about that communication a little bit because I, I actually had a an Landstar agent one time. Uh, my 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 normal protocol is when an agent sends me a rate confirmation, I reply to the email, "Hey, I got it. Thanks." When I get to the shipper, I say, "Hey, I'm here." When I get loaded, "Hey, I'm loaded." You know, I usually send five emails for a load and I had, I got done with the load a couple years ago and this agent, Landstar agent, she was like, oh, thank you so much for, you know, your great communication. And I'm like, well, you're welcome, but I sent you five emails. And so I just straight up asked her, I said, is it really that big a deal? And she's like, you have no idea. I have drivers won't call me. They won't do check calls. They won't tell me where they're at. Um, and that, that baffles me because maybe it's because I was a company driver for so long. Everybody knew where I was at. So I never felt like, well, how dare you? You have no right to know where I'm at with your $200,000 piece of equipment, your million dollar load. Like where the hell does that come from? That uh, I mean, drivers, yeah. I mean, drive truck drivers, bless their hearts. They think the axis of the universe runs through the top of their precious little heads. You know, and it and, does, but let's step down it, off the pedestal it, and join it the rest does. of the working class that makes America great. Right, right. So, I mean, yes, we do an important job, yeah. um, but I'm not, I'm just not that important. You know, I, I you know, <laughs> I'm in, well, here, put it this way. I'm important to the people that I'm important to um, on that day. And, and today it's somebody different than it could be tomorrow. But I, I've never understood that attitude of, of, of a driver say, well, they don't have any, it's none of their damn business where I'm at. And I'm like, no, it totally is. It's absolutely their business where you're at. So from a, from a broker side of perspective, what's it like to have to keep the, because I think drivers, I think drivers think that once the load's in the trailer and the doors are closed, well, the load is safe and it's in my hands and it's in perfect care. So nobody should care where it's at. So what's it like to have to deal with the customer that wants to know where the load's at and how it's getting it? 
Well, let me let me turn it and ask you a question. If your okay. cargo, if you made widgets and they were valued at $100,000 and you had to carry the receivables on that $100,000 for 30 days upon delivery, then the 30-day counts. So if it takes a two-day transit to get to delivery, that's 32 days before you're going to see the $100,000 sale come through. And I have to trust a complete stranger with my shit that's terrifying right. for a zipper that's terrifying that's a lot of money there was a lot of people that made that cargo from a manufacturing plant from a distribution point they had to create it they had to somebody had to go sell it and now we're going to entrust it to a complete stranger and you don't want to tell me where my stuff's at yeah that's stupid i'm blaming the broker <laughs> the broker is getting chewed a new one believe that believe it because they are getting because everything rolls downhill right that sales right. rep that sold that cargo to whatever buyer it's going to is constantly because they don't get commission until the term of sale is closed so the logistics department is wanting to know where's the truck where's the truck because they've got to answer to this sales rep who can't pay his mortgage until he makes sure that that loads delivered so because that truck driver doesn't want to know his location or doesn't care when it gets to the receiver because they've already called the receiver and said, oh, they'll let me deliver it tomorrow. Understand that you're stopping somebody else from getting paid. Somebody else right. who's getting living off of commission. There are other people, other stakeholders involved in this process. So it's very frustrating from a broker standpoint, having to facilitate reassuring coddling the shipper if you will and also kissing the behind of this truck driver who thinks that the sun done set on his butt so it it can be done but it can be done a lot easier if you know as a truck driver and i say that you plural what the hell i have to deal with what the shipper's got to deal with what that buyer who's who's had an ad on that particular product running for the last month and a half waiting on that product to be there. Otherwise, they're going to get their butt chewed out. The truck yeah. driver's role in overall supply chain is extremely important. If I don't know where my goods are, you're really putting me in, 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 in between a rock and a hard place. And if you enjoy exploiting people and making them get real anxious and anxiety driven, then that, that's probably why it happens is because they enjoy that little bit of power and it's an extremely yeah. powerful role, but it's unnecessary. I see a comment here that just popped up. Well, it won't let me see the whole thing. So, but it, it says you have every right to know where your freight is, but I don't need four to five calls a day asking where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. I, I can get, you know, um, but I've also seen, you know, I've seen it in rate per mile masters and I've heard Landstar drivers whining about it, that people want micro point, you know, tracking the truck. Well, if you don't want a phone call, then, then get micro point or use some type of tracking app that, that you can let these people know where it's at. It's, it's, to me, it's common courtesy. And for a long time, I've listened to so many safety spiels of, of how everybody wants us to be safe. Well, I, I can tell you one way to guarantee your safety, and that's to be courteous and respectful to people, whether you're behind the wheel or not. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I became an owner-operator 
and my butt was on the line that my behavior behind the wheel changed because I realized if I wreck it, if I tear it up or if it breaks down, I don't eat, you know, whereas the company truck, well, if it break, they just send me another one. Um, so yeah, I, I can see our drivers as, as the importance that we have. Well, I guess you could say it this way. You guys have all of the responsibility and you don't ever see or touch the freight. Right. Right. So, so I'm contingent on your word that you picked it up at the receiver at, at the shipper. Right. So I'm calling the consignor saying, I, I don't want to have to waste time calling the, the shipping warehouse to say, did this load get picked up? And I certainly do not want to receive a call from that shipping location. Where's that truck? We had this stuff staged on the dock and it cost us two people to get this stuff staged and they make $25 an hour. We've got to touch it again, put it back where it's got to go. And then we got to restage it. Guess who's paying for that labor? I'll yeah. give you a hint. It ain't the carrier and it's not the shipper. Right. Because I guaranteed that it was going to be there. And I really can't stand being made a liar out of myself. I really can't stand that, but it's part of the business, right? So on time to pick up metrics and on time to deliver metrics and the four or five cone phone calls a day. You're absolutely right. I need to know in the major milestones of the entire transport process, what's going on when you meet those milestones, when you get to the shipper, I need an update. When you get to the receiver, I need an update. If you just happen to give me a start and finish because I don't have access to your e-logs. If you want to give me a, Hey, I'm at the shipper, uh, I, you know, the next day when I first come into the office, I need to be able to give my shipper, my customer an update when they're checking their phone and drinking their coffee at home before they're being left for the office. I like to provide them an overload, a, a list of all of this freight that I have for them, what the status of each one of those loads are so that they don't call me. Yeah. If y'all call me or, or send me an email, just like your little method and your process that you do. Hey, I'm at this location. I'm going in my system and I'm up to date and load XYZ with driver Jim Bob is going to be is in transit or at receiver or load is completed. Load is delivered. Yeah. I'm exporting that file and sending it to the shipper every morning at 6 a.m. So what I think needs to be done is communication to say, this is a process that everybody kind of works like how when you talk to PE, talking about how blockchain works, everybody who's a part of that process, every stakeholder involved in that process knows what's going on. It facilitates and it streamlines communication. Yeah. I don't need four or five calls. I don't want to waste time calling somebody four or five times a day. It's your job to get it there. If there's a problem, let me know. But give me the common courtesy when you get to those milestones of at least once a day, let me know where you're at. And damn it, if you're going to be late, let me know so I can at least tell the shipper and they can tell their customer. Don't lie to me. It's transportation. Shit happens. I get it. Yeah. But one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines from Pete Emmerheiser in that blockchain podcast was if, if the trucking industry was in charge of delivering pizzas, nobody would get a hot pizza. You know, it's, it's a miracle that we get anything done. You know, and but we do, you know, and, and, and Pete 
really did a good job of explaining that the reason that we get it done is because there are truck drivers there to stand in the gap and and juggle all these all these balls in the air of all these different people. And so, you know, I, sometimes I think we should not really have an intelligence test that go to with the CDL, but something like a communication test of, of, of how many how many how many plates can you have spinning in the air at one time? You know, before we hand you the CDL and turn you loose in this truck, let's make sure you can you can balance things. Um, and that's what fascinates me about the future that's coming. Uh, not if, but when with blockchain and, and and how it's going to revolutionize this industry in a way that has never, ever been possible. You know, we have tried. I mean, the, the transportation management systems and all the stuff that we that we've come up with so far have done a great job. Um, I always tell people, you know, I'll hear someone talk about the good old days of trucking. And I'll say, now, hang on a minute. Are you talking about the good old days when I didn't have an iPad, an iPhone, a self, you know, satellite radio? I didn't have, you know, I'd stand in the phone room in the truck stop with one phone to each ear and a cloud of cigarette smoke so thick you couldn't see through trying to wait for some guy to tell me, call back in two hours. Y'all can take the good old days and shove them, okay? So from where we came to where we're at, we've done a masterful job with just-in-time freight and, you know, and all this stuff. But once blockchain gets here, I, 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 you know, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like for both of us because we're not going to have to waste touches. What? Waste touches. I have to yes. have a green belt in Six I like Sigma. That. So we want to reduce the amount of times we touch the same thing because at the end of the day, we are selling value. Okay. So every time we add touches to something, we decrease value. Yeah. So the more we have to talk about this load, you're updating your dispatcher that the load is picked up. Well, then why is the broker calling you asking you why that load or if that load's been picked up? Why are you talking about the same thing more than once? That's, that's stupid. You're wasting time. You're wasting shipper money because that's not what they're paying for. They pay for productivity and efficiency. They don't pay for waste. You waste their time, they're going to go find somebody else that's more lean and more efficient. So what do you think? I, I've heard the term in, in all different facets of the economy. You'll hear the term race to the bottom. And a lot of people use that when they want to have, you know, government regulations, uh, you know, to protect everybody, which, you know, I know how well that works out. Um, but they say, oh, well, they'll they'll keep getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper until the cheaper guy comes in. Well, here's the problem, though. If the cheaper guy's not making a profit, he's not going to do a good job. So we may race to the bottom, but we're going to race right back to the top. Because, like you said earlier, I can sell you low cost, but oh, what's the thing I've seen? Uh, you cheap, fast, and good. Pick good. two. Good. You can only yeah. pick two. Yeah, because you, you know you can't have all three. So I, that's where I, I understand that sales is so important. Now I see myself as a horrible salesman. Like it terrifies me to think about having to like go in. I sold cars for like a month in 1998 and it was the most horrific, terrifying experience of my life. And so I, I, 
I, that, that stuff just scares the crap out of me. Now I can get behind the wheel. I can drive, I can, I can, you know, manage all the logistics and, and string the loads together. And that, that stuff's great. But the, I, I understand that I'm selling service by completing the job, but I have to have those opportunities to, to prove it first. Right. I have to I have to show you that I can serve so that you'll know that I serve. Whereas if I'm trying to sell, well, I've got to sell you that I can serve before I prove that I can serve. That makes sense. No, you do. And that's the thing is that that's why I do not like being made to be a liar because I'm on my honor. I don't know if you're a card game player, but, you know, you get three chips when you start and then you got a fourth one when you're on your honor when you ain't got no chips left. I'm on my honor. And as a broker, I don't have nothing. You know, I don't have any assets that I can go and sell out. At the end of the day, I have nothing but my word. What separates me from the next broker is the fact that I have relationships. And and you could be a great salesman because you know how to build relationships with people, you know, how to get people to trust you. Because here's the thing, and this is a trade secret, and I'm sure other brokers out there and men, some shippers may not want to work with me, but it is what it is. Shippers are scared. Again, they have cargo valued of $100,000 up to $250,000 or someplace where you've got to purchase spike insurance to cover whatever cargo value that you're hauling. And they're entrusting you as a broker to give it to a bunch of complete strangers that they assume that you know because you say you have a carrier network. They assume that you have a relationship set with them. They don't know in all rights that the majority of folks are going to the load board and literally picking out strangers. That's not a value to a shipper. What separates me from the next broker is the fact that I have relationships with truck drivers. I have relationships with carrier companies that have grown or they've stabilized or whatever. Because at the end of the day, Chris Langster at Jeru Logistics, when I was a shipper, taught me what it meant to be a broker and selling value. He was one of the highest paid brokers there, but Chris had 30 some years in the field and he taught me of the good, cheap, fast pick too. Yeah. But be consistent. Consistency gets people to trust you. Just be consistent. Even if you're consistently bad, at least be consistent so that folks can take and create benchmarks off of whatever consistency is. Why do you think that certain manufacturing plants can have the same quality output? It's because they probably pay their employee base a, a decent enough wage to where it keeps them wanting to come back because every time you have an increase in employee turnover that decreases your quality because your service levels are inconsistent as a broker i want consistent service levels i want to know that the people that i tender the freight to are going to take care of that freight because this is their livelihood but i also want to make sure that they're taken care of so i want to be able to argue to a shipper I can't be an LCP because I've got people dependent on me for feeding their family. We're not an LCP type company. We're a service company that is giving you the exact thing that you can sell to the people that buy your manufactured goods. Okay. So I don't know if that made sense and I'm sure it does, but I kind of, you do a great job with people and I think you underestimate yourself in being in sales because like I said earlier, sales is not cutthroat. It's who you work for with sales. 
that makes it cutthroat because getting customers is easy. Yeah. I uh, I got distracted for a second because I dropped my iPad and I just broke the charger off of it. So that that's awesome. And uh, <laughs> also doing yeah. business right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, if you could see what the dash of my truck looks like right now with the wires and the, you know, uh, it's it's a it's a mess. Um, what do you think that we can do as shippers? or I mean, as, as brokers and carriers to better educate shippers on what they should expect. Because if they um, don't really understand, well, if they don't really understand, okay, part, so you said, you know, they're, they're scared. Okay. Well, part, I think part of fear is not knowing, not understanding the full picture. And so, Humans, when we're when we're when we're uh, uh, when we don't understand what's going on, or the first reaction is fear. So, how can shippers are said it again? How can brokers and carriers better help shippers to understand and receivers what we can and can't do? Because that's one of the challenges since the ELD mandate came in for decades. We did what was right instead of what was legal, right? We got the job done. We lied and cheated like hell on our paper logs, but we got the job done. We did the right thing, but we didn't do it legally. Well, now we have to do it legally with a system of ours that does not make sense, has never made sense, is, is, is not con uh, conducive to productivity. It's an absolute nightmare to deal with. And it's put everybody in a pinch because we can't do what we used to do because we can't lie and cheat like hell like we did. And all these people running around, I'm going to get a 1999 trucks on it. Yeah. Good luck with that. But, uh, that, you know, you'll be one of like 75 people that's running a paper log, uh, and you're going to be low hanging fruit and the DOT man is going to take your head off. But the ELD mandate has changed the industry and the shippers really are the ones that are suffering for it because we're not going to, we've already proven that we're not going to do things legally and be cheap. So maybe you could make a new adage, cheap, uh, legal, and what's the third one? You know, pick two, cheap, legal, and fast. Fast. Yeah. I mean, cause uh, you know, it, it's going to be legal, but it ain't going to be cheap, you know, and it's going to be fast, but it ain't going to be cheap. I want to I want to address your your question as far as what shippers need to hear to be reassured and not be so afraid of what's going on. And I want to kind of make a reference to uh, a kid. How do you you can't scream and yell at a kid? I mean, you can and put the fear of God into them and just completely dominate the child. But when you're not around, chances are that kid's going to go back and revert to the same behavior, right? right? But if you sit there and you speak the same language of the child and put it in words that they understand, and you connect and you teach and change the behavior from actually getting them to understand what's going on, that's when you're reassured that the child's not going to have the repeat of bad behavior, of whatever you're trying to correct. So look at shippers the same way. Because I will tell you this, they look at truck drivers the same way because they know hitting pocketbooks gets everybody's attention. Same way carriers know hitting pocketbooks gets everybody's attention. 
But the more that carriers can speak the same language of shippers, the carriers are going to be able to reach them much quicker. Getting shippers to speak the same language of carriers, they try, but they fall short because carriers don't want to they don't want to listen, right? Because they know everything and you don't have a yeah. CDL. So you obviously can't talk to me. Okay. So if we talk to shippers and we understand their language and we come at them with our concerns within their language with solutions in their language, it's going to go a lot easier. And it's also going to rule out if you're talking to the right person or not. Because once you know the language, you will encounter gatekeepers that think they know the language, but they don't. And that's your indication you're not speaking to the right person. Don't get mad. What would grandma do? <laughs> She's going to say, well, thank you, honey. You have a good day and we'll talk at you later. And you're going to go find the right person to talk to with your right. If you're at Verizon Wireless Store and you're having issues with your phone, are you going to cuss out the person behind the counter? Or are you going to make sure you're talking to somebody that can actually do something? You're going to talk to the person, the decision maker, okay? So when you start to understand the chain of command and the, the chain of custody within supply chains, you're going to understand where this order is coming from and how to aid maybe some of the people that don't know the chain of command, right? So when you are, let's say, a reefer and you're sitting at the dock and they're trying to decide whether or not your stuff's going to pass quality, Understand that at 1130 at night on a Friday night and you're trying to get a hold of the quality manager, it's going to be slim to none. So who's the next person do you talk to? Do you know who the next decision maker is after hours? It's going to be the warehouse manager. It's whoever that shift lead is. If that shift lead is not able to make a decision on their own because maybe they're out of the scope and competency of their training, it is now your job as the professional CDL license holder to understand, I don't want to be sitting here all night, but me screaming and yelling at this person and causing a tantrum is just going to cause more anxiety on this person that doesn't know what to do. How can I help them make a decision? Be a sales rep. Turn into a sales rep. Sell them on making a decision. Reassure them that they're making the right decision. Cut the doors and get yourself out of there. At the end of the day, that person's going to learn something on their own. But it's your job as a sales rep to reassure people. My job as a broker is to reassure people. Okay. I'm not trying to lie to anybody, but everybody's got anxiety. And I swear to you, they all need a bottle of volume in their in their desk drawer. <laughs> because yeah. value makes the world go around because everybody gets stressed out. This is just cargo. It's not heart transplants. Okay. It's just cargo, but everybody gets all Twitter paid and all worked up like it's some big to do. Just chill out. As soon as you know how to speak the language of supply chain, you're better off because for to wait to them to come to you, just bow down. It's like cheap trick says, you know, you can surrender, but don't give yourself away. <laughs> you know? yeah. And General Seuss says in The Art of War, the general who is successful knows when to fight and when not to fight. And the warrior who is stupid does not fear death. Be a general. Don't be a stupid warrior. Okay. Know when to fight the battles and when not to fight. And know when to aid and give help. Because like you said in the very beginning, we're all in this together. And I think it was Ronald Reagan that said... Rising tide helps all ships sail or something to that effect. Yeah. So we're all in this together. We're going to rise together. We're going to fall together. Um, 
what we can do is is do our part to add to the solutions and not take away. And something that Curtis Lott would say at Lott Trucking, where I was a general manager, if you can't help me, please don't hurt me. And I think that that's a great philosophy to have. If you can't help the situation, don't tear it apart. Don't add to the problem yeah. mix. Yeah, no, that's good. Well, I think that's a great place to end it. One of my one of my favorite quotes, I think, that will go along with that was Zig Ziglar that says, you can have anything you want if you help enough other people get what they want. You know, that that attitude of service um, is is it melts people like butter, you know. But when you have when you are already defensive, you're already, you know, got your dander up. Um, I mean, I don't have resting nice face. So when I'm just, you know, I look angry all the time. And so I have to sometimes try to get out in front of my face. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. My daughter is a fiddle player. And she's really good. And she does this contest every year at Memorial Day. And so they had all the little kids play and they decide they're going to have like a bunch of other age groups go ahead and play before they do the awards. Well, it's Memorial Day and it's hot and humid and muggy and we're all tired. And so this guy goes, to, we're all sitting waiting for the awards. And this guy goes, we're going to have a concert. And I look, I was sitting on the front row and I just looked at him. And he goes, you know what? I think we're going to go ahead and, and, and we're going to go ahead and announce that now because my face said to him, announce these now or I'm going to come up and drag you off of that stage. You know, so I get, you know, the, the, the communication is such an important piece. And, um, you know, truck drivers have had our own language for so long with the, all the CB jargon and we, we talk about things that we understand and know. I mean, I can, I can bump into a truck driver that hasn't driven a truck in 10 years, but we can start speaking the same language. I think that it could be the most important point to get us all speaking on the same terms and the same language. So I, I, I had fun with this. I think we should do it again sometime. Um, and definitely not bad for, you know, about two hours ago saying, Hey, you want to do a podcast? So <laughs> yeah, but it went well. Uh, so I wish you all the best of luck with your Patricia Margaret company. Uh, tell grandma, we all said, Hey, and um, uh, we'll look forward to doing it again sometime. Thanks a lot, Chris. I really appreciate it. God bless y'all. Stay safe. All right. Bye-bye now.